Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to Knocking Doors Down, brought to you by KDD Media Company. The one thing I will say is that where you are right now is perfect. The second you start judging yourself for not being where you think is further ahead, you invalidate the lessons that you had previously to get you to where you are. See, I failed a lot in business. I've had 27 international companies. Yeah, some of which have failed spectacularly. Some of which have you know, lost me millions of dollars. Some have made me millions of dollars. Some of some should have stayed ideas when I was drunk. Right? <laughs> and pretty much, yeah, everything in between. But and I was interviewed the other week. And I was in Bulgaria, and the the host said, you know, but what about your failures? Because people think failures are biases. You kidding? My failures are my capital. Inside the 5150 Studios, this is Knocking Doors Down, a podcast about ending the stigma around addiction and mental health. I'm your host, Jason, with the background of childhood trauma, alcoholism, and my co-host, Uncle Mikey. Hello, everybody. He's gone through uh, some adversities himself, struggled with some anxiety and depression. Yeah, what are you going to do? Well, we're going to have conversations with awesome people to help, like we said, in that stigma around addiction and mental health. Our guest this week, Mr. Peter Sage. Peter. <laughs> Mr. Peter Sage. I really uh, just a mind-blowing guy when prior to speaking to him I didn't know uh, much about his childhood, you know, thinking what he's achieved now in life as this very motivational p- person. He's he'll talk about he's worked hand in hand with Tony Robbins over years, transformed people's life. Uh, you know, he'll talk about his 6-month prison sentence and how he was elated to go to prison because it gave him an opportunity to work with an underserved part of our community and world. I mean, he's just a mind-blowing guy, uh, incredibly inspirational, and I, I was, it was an honor to finally speak with him. I had been trying for a long time. It was like uh, our past episode, Dr. Rob Kelly. Uh, Peter was one of those people where it was, I didn't even want to talk. I just wanted to sit there and listen to him talk because it was just so like, wow, I didn't think of it like that, or wow, that's a good point. I, it's a good way to look at it. So it was definitely a good listen. Of course, we thank you for listening to the Knocking Doors Down podcast. Uh, if you have yet to subscribe, this is your first time listening, please do subscribe wherever you're listening, be it Apple Podcast app, where we would also appreciate a five-star rating and a review. Uh, Google Podcast, iHeart, uh, Spotify, we are everywhere that you can get podcasts. Of course, if you're like Mikey, don't forget the YouTube channel. Yeah, you know, I, I, I want to see it. I like to watch what I'm listening to. Absolutely. Uh, we couldn't do any of this without 5150 LTM swagging us out wherever we go. 
Isn't there a promo code? There is, Uncle Mikey. It's pretty simple. If you go to the official website, 5150ltm.com, use promo code KDD20. What is it? Use KDD20 for 20% off the checkout. Sick. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. Welcoming to Knocking Doors Down, author of The Inside Track, Mr. Peter Sage. How are you, good sir? I'm an absolutely fabulous sir. Thank you so much. Uh, pleasure to be on. Yeah, it's an honor to speak with you. I love the work you, you've been doing and on your TED Talk. So this is this is really cool. Plus, it's kind of one of those selfish episodes where it's like, all right, I'm going to get a lot out of this one. I got a lot to ask. Um, uh, the book, of course, we want to get into it, why you wrote it and the things that you've been through. I kind of think an interesting point, though, is to just start with with your mindset. And it really shows when you talk about having served your six month prison sentence. And reading more about the case, I'm like, wow, Peter got screwed over in this deal. But you, you made l- lemonade out of lemons. It's, it's part of the game. You know, we, we can't control which way the river of life bends. Uh, all we can say with certainty is that there's no straight lines. There's no straight lines in nature. If you see a straight line, it's man-made. Mm. Uh, so we know that we live in a non-linear reality. You know, the, the, the left brain is out there, get frustrated by that. But the bottom line is that you know, we know that things are going to show up that don't fit our pictures. So we can either get upset, we can get annoyed, we can get frustrated, we can get depressed, or we can be empowered. And you know, that's a choice. And most people forget that that's a choice because they have their mind so focused on trying to control reality, which I did for many, many years until I realized that yeah, the damn thing kept winning. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's about listen, if, understanding that Yeah, regardless of what happens, life is not going to fit your pictures all the time. It's not meant to. We're we're here in a growth-centric experience, not a comfort-centric experience. And when we wake up to that reality, life shifts. And yeah, that was was definitely a growth-centric experience for me. I can promise you that. Well, when you talk about that too, I know you talk a lot about uh, brain development, especially that first seven years. Uh, How... how intrinsic do you think that is like you said a growth experience and trying to break free from that comfort you know so many of us look to seek comfort when the reality is 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 accepting the discomfort of life and being excited about the unforeseeable future we just don't know sure and and people say they love surprises well no people love surprises that they want (laughs) surprises they don't want they call them problems right right so yeah understanding that when it comes to our, our mindset, when it comes to you know, the, uh, what you bring to the table, I'm, I'm going to slice it a couple of different ways. One is that you talk about comfort versus growth. Well, there is two parts to a human being. We know that. We are the perfect encapsulation 
of the physical and the non-physical. Yeah, we know that we have a physical body, but we know we are not our body. I know that if I was to cut off my arm, I'd have 15% less body, but I wouldn't be 15% less me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't lose 15% of my personality, my memories, my sense of humor, my well, whatever. Right? So the essence of what makes us who we are is non-physical. Yeah, it's our hopes, our dreams, our, our, our wishes, aspirations, our personality, our, all of that stuff. And so if we know there's a physical and a non-physical component that we encapsulate, then let's look at the operating principles behind them. See, if we associate or identify ourselves with the physical only, then we identify with the body. Yeah, and, and we know we have a body. We're not our body. We don't say, you know, oh, am arm. We say my arm. It's something we have, not something we are. So if we understand that the body has a nervous system and that nervous system is hardwired for comfort, it's by design. Exceptionally useful if we're standing too close to a fire. Exceptionally useful if we're sitting on an ant's nest or you know, broken glass. But if we identify with the body, we're going to be identifying with a life-seeking comfort. But that's not who we are. There's a bigger part of us, that non-physical part of us. And you can label it whichever way you want. I'm not here to you know, question or, or debate labels, whether you call it your higher self, your soul, your you know, spiritual self. I don't, I don't mind. I'm, you know, go pick one that works. <laughs> but that part of us is not wide for comfort, it's wide for growth. And we grow through challenge. In other words, if, if you were born an athlete, but you didn't know you were an athlete, and you got into the gym, and that personal trainer is shouting at you to run on the treadmill until you're sick and lift weights until your arms yeah, ache and all the rest of it, and you're identifying with somebody who's not an athlete, you're going to be hiding behind the treadmill. You're going to be lifting just enough to tick the box to say you've done it, you're going to be looking for ways to cheat on your workout and get the hell out of there as soon as you can. Now, if you know you're an athlete and you're here to get the Olympic gold, I've got news for you. If you're not throwing up in 30 minutes, you want your money back. You want a better personal trainer. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, I've got a great way on how you can cheat on your workout, you're going to look at them and say, who the hell are you? Get out of here. You see, most of us forgot we were born an athlete. We're here to take on the challenges of life. It's intrinsic. If you see a mammal... And we know in biochemistry that if that mammal perceives an exterior situation as a threat, it will go weak and lose 30% of its muscle strength. If that mammal sees the same situation as a challenge, it'll gain 30% of muscle strength. Okay? We are wired to take on our problems and challenges, not run away or hide or shirk from them. It's how we're wired. But if you don't know that, you're taking the perspective of the muscle fiber. Yeah, You're doing that, that last that weight on the bar yeah, that screaming, burning rep, and you're sending messages to the brain. What are you doing? Stop. Yeah, I'm being broken down. Quick, send more pain messages. What are you? But if you're in the mindset of the athlete, you're proud that you busted out that last rep and can't lift your arms for two days and not a personal best. So it's never about the workout. It's about your relationship to it. It's never about the life you think you want or have. It's your relationship to it. Right. And that's how you can walk amongst them and not be affected by them. I think I see that a lot with... Um, wow, this is therapeutic as hell. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> I've, been, uh, I've been doing a lot more reading. I know the term that's kind of been used here, Peter, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, has been like the, uh, an unnecessary suffering, meaning that, yes, we want to just sit in, in a state of comfort, but be it uh, um, you know an ice bath or people that might jump into a pool or a cold, really cold shower early in the morning for five minutes or, you know... Um, 
breathing techniques can kind of like a Wim Hof or like you're saying that uh, maybe you have a sedentary job. So it is getting out there on the, for me, it's my mountain bike for an hour a day, regardless of whatever the temperature is outside and things of that nature, as far as having that impact on the brain, as far as shutting off that, that, that safety mechanism, so to speak. If, if you're training yourself to seek comfort, life is going to give you feedback that is very discomforting. Mm. It's not why we're here. Right now, again, it do doesn't mean to say that the whole of life has to be yeah, uncomfortable. That, that's not the game. For example, if, if I was to say, you know, um, I said to people, the purpose of life is not to be happy. If you think that, you're in Disneyland. Sorry. <laughs> it doesn't mean to say that you can't be happy during life, but it's not its purpose. Just like school. If you say, you know, the purpose of school is not to be happy. Doesn't mean to say you can't be happy going through school, but it's not its purpose, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, the purpose of life isn't to be happy. And as human beings, we, we're here to experience an entire range of emotions. Right. Now, I didn't want to be happy at my mother's funeral, right? It was a time to grieve. It was a time to, you know, have a cathartic level of, of experience. But I was doing it on my terms. I wasn't taken down by grief and stuck there like most people get because they think that, you know, life should be happy. And if it doesn't work, then they're taking a victim mentality. Right. Uh, so from, yeah, from that perspective, and if you want the secret of happiness, by the way, I can give it you as a bonus, quite easy. Yeah? Think happy thoughts, in case closed, don't complicate it. Yeah. Yeah? Happiness is nothing more than a byproduct of you thinking happy thoughts. You want an angry life, think angry thoughts. I mean, that's, uh, the, the, yeah, the formula works. Or watch the 49ers, <laughs> either one. <laughs> no comment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so um, if we understand that you know, learning to... Uh, seek discomfort or building up a tolerance that's outside of our comfort zone or expanding our comfort zone, probably a better role for that. Right. I mean, I can't wait. I'm, I'm doing an ice bath tomorrow morning. I've got a personal ice bath here and I have ice delivered you know, two days a week. Tuesday's one of them. So I'll be in my ice bath Wim Hof style tomorrow. Now, and I love that. In fact, one of the things I was demonstrating to one of the people with me recently was the ability to understand that frequency overrides chemistry. I'll demonstrate. We take something in for granted, although nobody really pays attention to it in the medical profession called the placebo effect. Sure. Now, it's enshrined in law, but if you actually stop and think about it, what the law is saying is that your beliefs about something have greater power over the chemistry of something. Hmm. So when I was demonstrating the last time I was in Ithath a few weeks back uh, with uh, somebody I, I got here was, I'm going to show you how I can get into an ice bath and use my mind to so fully associate to being in a desert that my body will start to sweat. And I was able to sweat and produce sweat on my forehead from three minutes in an ice bath. That's not because I'm smart. I practice everybody that's available to, but most of the time we're so suckered into trying to seek comfort that we never build those kind of muscles. Now, you know, it's possible because you can go to bed and wake up in a cold sweat from a dream, even though yeah, the room wasn't, yeah, temperature didn't change. So right. you know your mind has the ability to override chemistry. Frequency trumps chemistry, right? So, you know, if you're seeking to expand your comfort zone, it's literally about building the muscle. And then you learn to enjoy it. More with Peter Sage coming up. We'll ask him what is his morning and daily routine like? How does someone that is uh, so positive and motivated uh, get going in the morning? And you would be surprised how much time he spends on actually just focusing on himself, his mental, emotional, and physical state prior to starting his day. Those fun random questions and more coming up with uh, Peter Sage. 
5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. And if you think about it, I talk about different classes of experience. A class one experience is something that feels good. It is good for you. It's good for everyone. I learned this from Tony Robbins. Yeah, I worked with Tony 15 years as one of his experienced trainers. Yeah, And uh, a class one experience, it feels good, good for you, good for the greater good, no downside. Great example, sex. Yeah, consensual sex, should we say. Yeah, it's, it's good, good, good for everybody, right? Totally agree. <laughs> Can't argue that. Then we take a class two experience. A class two experience is something that doesn't actually feel good, but it is good for you. Good for others, good for the greater good, etc. An ice bath for many people would fall under that category. Exercise for a lot of people would fall under that category. Sure. Yeah? A class three experience is something that feels good, but isn't good for you. Good for others, good for greater good. Smoking, alcohol, you know, drugs, what have you. And then the class four experience is something that doesn't even feel good, isn't good for you, isn't good for anything. Um, Anger would be a a great example of that, for example. Now, if you really want the key to turning life into this growth-centric experience, focus on taking your class two experiences, those that don't feel good but are good for you, and doing them until they become class one. Hmm. And we see this. We see this with people that start off in the gym with resentment, and within six months, they're a gym junkie. You can't get them out of there. Right. People that start running, it's usually uncomfortable. Now you can't stop. Right. People that yeah, yeah, take up a sport. You sport, yeah, trying trying to learn salsa or something like that. It's uncomfortable to begin with. But you go through it and now it's a class one experience. It's effortless. You're you know, you're you know, circling around the dance floor. So a lot of people are too focused on either, you know, usually class three experiences and wonder why their life doesn't work. Yeah. I want something that feels good, even though it's not really that good. Hagen Dars feels good. Doritos feels good. Domino's feels good. Netflix feels good. No, you're going to get feedback. And life builds in a rumble strip on the freeway. We know if we drive down the freeway and we're not paying attention, we go off track, we hit the rumble strip. <laughs> and for a lot of people, yeah, let's say they're listening to the music and they're not paying attention. They're doing 60, 70 miles an hour and they kind of drift. The next minute, they're near the version. And <laughs> what do most people think? Well, let's use a health example. I'm just going along doing my stuff, not really paying much attention, yeah, supersizing my meal too often, you know, taking the uh, the ready meal, easy option, blah, 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 convenience foods. And oh, I hit the rumble strip. I'm, I'm out of breath walking upstairs. My pants are a little bit too tight than what they normally are. They hit the rumble strip. Now, what do most people do when they hit the rumble strip? That's interfering with my music. I'm going to turn up the volume. <laughs> right? I want a quick pill. I want a fix-it solution. I want a diet soda instead of an old, geez, yeah. Uh, it's just like, yeah. Wake up to the fact that emotional maturity and biological maturity, my friends, are not correlated. Hmm. So we, don't, we don't get to choose whether we you know, mature biologically. That's part of the rule set. Right. 
you can put on some creams and you can take some vitamins and you can do whatever you want. You, you, can, you can try to impact it a little bit. I've got news for you. 50 years from now, you're going to look different. Right? It's you know, part of the rule set. Inevitable. It's inevitable. Yep. Emotional maturity is a choice. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people, you probably know some of them, oh. that are walking around in yeah, uh, uh, emotional teenagers in some very adult bodies. Yeah. Well, and I, I know that, uh, you know, definitely as a lot of our audience, uh, you know, people in recovery for either addiction or mental health or the combination thereof. I know for me sitting in, in you know, imbibing alcohol for well over a decade at a, a an alarming rate. I know I am a little bit behind in a lot of ways that it's, uh, you know, so now that's why I kind of came, I, how I came across you and folks in, in your area is trying to go like, I know I stunted the shit out of my growth. I've got work to do to get to the point of, of being a 43-year-old man that approaches life in that aspect. Well, one thing I will say to that, to, to, to your credit and to the credit of everybody that's listening here that has gone through yeah, their own dark night of the soul, the fact that you're here, the fact that you're on the path, the fact that you're seeking out information that will allow you to stay on yeah, the, the, the path that you now want to choose to walk, yeah, and I buried one of my best friends last week with liver cancer because he drank himself to death. Yeah, then, yeah, it's, we all have a final scene in our movie, guys. Yeah? yeah, And the one thing I will say is that where you are right now is perfect. The second you start judging yourself for not being where you think is further ahead, you invalidate the lessons that you had previously to get you to where you are. Huh. Okay. So I failed a lot in business. I've had 27 international companies, uh, some of which have failed spectacularly, some of which have you know, lost me millions of dollars, some have made me millions of dollars, some, have, some should have stayed ideas when I was drunk, right? <laughs> and, and pretty much yeah, everything in between. But and I was interviewed the other week, I was in Bulgaria, and the, the host said, you know, but what about your failures? Because people think failures are biases. Are you kidding? My failures are my capital. Mm-hmm. That. You go to the story of Tom Watson, the founder of IBM, and there's a famous story in the 1960s where one of the sales guys lost an account that cost the company a million dollars because he made a mistake. Now, a million dollars in 1960 was worth something, yeah. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he called him into the office. And the guy knows he's going to get fired. I mean, uh, Tom Watson calls him in. And Thomason calls him and he says, uh, do you know why you're here? He says, well, clearly I'm going to get fired. He said, fire you? It just cost me a million dollars to train you. That is the some mindset mistakes, right there. The mistakes we've made, the times we've spent inside, the times we fell off the wagon, that's our capital. That's what's made us to who we are right now. And if you want to fast track to turning that into a superpower rather than a sob story, use the capital that you've earned there as a way to earn your stripes to be able to help others. So there's a lot of people that are recovering addicts that won't listen to anybody that's not been there. Right. There's a lot of people that will not give credibility to somebody that doesn't relate to where they are. Kind of like, well, you don't know what I went through. Why would I listen to you? You don't know. Kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. If you can look somebody nice, say, hey, listen, let me tell you about when I, you know, woke up in a trailer park, you know, on crystal meth for, you know, the, the 10th time and cost me the girl that, you know, finally you know, ran out on me because, you know, she lost patience and all the rest of it. Yeah. And I woke up in my own vomit for blah, blah, blah. And then I was yeah, on parole for this. And yeah, let me tell you about that time and how I got through it, mm-hmm. right? Because I saw something in myself that I see in you. 
And I believe in you as much as I believed in me at that point when I made a shift, and I'm going to continue to believe in you until you do. And you come at it from that place. You turn your story into your gift to be able to help others with, and you accelerate down that path of personal growth faster than anything else, I can promise. Well, Peter, I, I think it's a good point to then let's talk about your prison sentence and the work you did because there might be people going, oh, this guy, he's talking about making millions, losing millions not understanding that, you know, you were thrust into a situation due to a, a business deal. I mean, it's people can look up on their own Peter's case. It's just kind of preposterous to me that there was any time, sir. But it wasn't just like, OK, you're getting six months and we're going to put you around the corner at the holding cell and then let you out. No, you went to a shitty, terrible situation with hard, hardened criminals. But you went in with a certain mindset, per my recollection, you it was almost immediate, a conversation you were having with your fiance at the time, once you mm. got the sentence down. Well, it's just a you know, bit of backstory. I mean, it's, it's, it's not hugely relevant, but for context, I was arguing a, a business deal in court with a, a major multinational, multi-billion dollar company, which I probably won't name, you know, called Hewlett Packard, right? <laughs> and... Um, uh, and they were suing me for $17 million on a business deal where they made millions of dollars. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, they said I hadn't got the right to resell equipment. I said, you didn't give me a contract saying I couldn't. I, bought, I paid you in full, 12 and a half million. They're suing me for 17 million deficit. I'm like, you're on crack. I said, yeah. and, and for those that are in business or entrepreneurs, they'll understand that when it comes to litigation, it's a tool. It's a chess game. Yeah. Yeah. When, when Apple sued Samsung over patent infringements yeah, in Germany, it had nothing to do with patent infringements. That was thrown out of court. It had everything to do with them getting a temporary block on allowing Samsung to display their products at the Berlin Electronics Fair so allow Apple to get a step on the ladder. Mm, right. It's a chess game, mm -hmm. right? Hewlett-Packard you know, served me a contempt application as a leverage to try to get me to settle on a, a, a minute fraction, like 100 grand they wanted to try to squeeze extra profit out of the deals I'd already made them profit on because they didn't like the fact that I'd resold them and made more. Right, even though I was well within my rights to do it. So they threw a contempt of court application. It was a chess move. Got nothing to do with the reality of anything that happened. And so I didn't give it that much credibility. And we went to court and I thought it would get laughed out of court in five minutes. And I learned a lot about how the court system works and who can hire the best lawyers. Mm -hmm. I had a $100 million ruthless law firm. And I had the, because uh, you know, they froze my accounts, I had the state appointed attorney. I mean, yeah, talk about in David and Goliath at that level, you know, David got squished. So anyway, long story short, I, I know, <laughs> right. but, but long story short, I got sentenced. I did six months as a, for contempt of court. Very much. This wasn't a criminal offense. I've never been accused of a crime. I've never been charged with a crime. I've never been found guilty of a crime and I still don't have a criminal record. All right. I served six months as a civil prisoner in the most violent prison statistically in the UK. And when that was, and I lost my business, I, they awarded all the costs against me, even though I was on legal aid. You know, I walked out, of, uh, I walked down the steps immediately about a third of a million in debt. Wow. Yeah, lost my business. You know, my wedding was paid for in Portofino in Italy, gone. I mean, it's uh, everything, complete crap show. And one thing to understand is you cannot change what has already happened. And most people waste so much energy stressing out. And, and it's, it's cancerous level of self-talk. You know, if only, what if? Well, that's, you can't do anything. The milk spilled, the milk spilled, right? It's like 
moan about it one, put it back in the bottle or clean the carpet. Mm. Right? So yeah, what's done is done. It is what it is. So I free up the energy that I was putting into resisting something I can't change. I can't change the fact that I'm walking down the steps. So I stop resisting that. I accept that. And that frees up the energy of resistance to channel into the next best move. It's not apathy. Acceptance is not apathy. Apathy is like giving up. It's like, oh, I'll just accept it. No, I stop resisting so I can free up the energy to make the smartest next move. That may be an appeal. It may be you know, seeing what I can learn. It may, in my instance, I'm like, right, I've been very blessed that millions of people around the world for the last few decades have, have benefited from my, my teachings. So maybe the universe is trying to give me this incredible graduation event to see if I can walk my talk in a situation where it's not a classroom. There's no cameras or second takes. It's not a podcast. It's a place I would never have had the opportunity to go and you know, practice in. So let's go help people that really need help. Not those that are surfing YouTube because they're bored. So, Peter, you seem, you know, you. I, I, how do I explain this? OK, so you walk in. I'm just curious. You walk into this prison as a civil. What do you call it? Civil prisoner, not a criminal civil, prisoner, although there's no distinction because prisoner. they're not geared for that. Right, right. Right. And you lost everything, you know, your wedding in Italy, your business and all that. What was your mindset like? Because I know you're very positive and you're well, this is what it is. This happened. So there's no point in going back. How how did that factor when you were walking into prison? What was going through your head? Oh, I was excited. You're right. Yeah, I I, I, I took on the identity of a secret agent of change. Wait, did right. you say you were or were not excited? No, I was excited. Oh, you I were? Got a, I got a new adventure that I wasn't expecting that I'm about to be put into. Let's go see what happens. That is an incredible mindset. <laughs> right? And when I walked in, the first person I saw was the prison officer that issued my clothes. Mm-hmm. And they're not orange in England, which is useful. Right? <laughs> not a good color for me. But no, <laughs> I've done. And he asked me, he says, question, he says, sir, excuse me, he says, are you a copper? Right, which is slang for policeman. Sure. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, no, <laughs> please don't give me that label walking into prison. That, right. Yeah, right. That, that reduces you your life expectancy. <laughs> you know? But um, I, I says, no. He says, oh, there's, there's something about you. It's different energy about you. I'm, I'm, uh, anyway, I let it go. I then go in the waiting room. Now, again, this is all new to me. I've only seen stuff like this on TV. I mean, it, the, the prison is pretty similar to if you've seen the show Prison Break, right? And you guys probably you know, have experience or whatever, but it was pretty similar kind of deal. Yeah, like high security prison. And I, I'm in the waiting room and I finally get called for a medical. So I've got to go see a prison doctor. And I'm sitting there and we're talking away. And after five minutes, he leans in. He says, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, are you undercover? <laughs> and I started laughing. I'm like, I says, I've got to ask you something. I says, you're the second person that's kind of said that. Why do you ask? He says, in 20 plus years as a prison doctor, I've never, ever seen anyone so happy on their first ever day in prison. I thought you were being right. sarcastic when you said that. <laughs> no, that's no, that, that, that was true. And I, and I knew I was there for a mission. And again, let's, let's, let's chunk back a bit because beliefs govern everything. And there are two types of belief. You have governing beliefs, like overarching beliefs, global beliefs, and local beliefs. So uh, a local good belief is that I, I think that person can't be trusted. Right, mm-hmm. a governing but a global belief would be, yeah, I uh, I don't think anyone can be trusted. Right, so you know I think all women are as opposed to I think that woman is. You know, so you have got global versus local beliefs. Sure. Now, Albert Einstein, pretty smart dude apparently. Never got to meet him. 
but <laughs> heard good things. Yeah. 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 It's kind of new stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I had some cool projects. He said that the most powerful question that you can answer in your lifetime, not on a Sunday when you're bored, yeah, not when you've you know, finished watching Netflix, not on a bank holiday, not in the shower, in your lifetime, is do you live in a friendly or a hostile universe? Mm. Now, that's a governing global belief. And thing with global beliefs is it impacts all of the cascading levels of belief. If I believe all women are you know, bitches, then that's going to affect the next woman I talk to that could be my soulmate. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if I think all men can't be trusted, then that's going to affect how I look at my next potential business partner. Sure. Right. So yeah, if I live in a friendly universe, that's going to impact on every scenario that shows up. If I live, which I believe, by the way, if I live in a friendly universe, then what's it doing to me in this incredible prison thing that I'm adventure I'm putting me into? It's got to be something cool. Yeah, if I trust the personal trainer in the gym, I'm not going to be scared about the exercise he's giving me because he has my well-being at heart. He's not there to try to rip my arms off. He's there to help me you know, lift the weight for the gold medal. So if I trust the river of life, I don't care whether it bends left or right if I know I'm in the right river. If I live in a hostile universe, by definition, I'm looking through a fear-based lens. Oh, my God, I'm going to prison. What I'm, nothing ever happened to me in prison, right? No violence, no – and I ended up doing a lot of stuff in there that was congruent with the reason I went in, which was to help as many people as I could. I, I got a lot of people off drugs. I was stopping suicides. I redesigned the intake system to reduce violence between the wings that's now being rolled in, out in prisons all over the world. Right? We just had 30,000 copies of the new prisoner welcome booklet that I designed, right? Shipped to prisons in Ohio, Texas, Nevada, the head of corrections for New South Wales. Yeah, I was speaking to you recently in Australia. Uh, it's been translated in several languages. And I won a national award for the work that I was doing in there. Uh, now, again, that's not because I'm trying to get anything. I went to serve. I went to demonstrate that I, what I did yeah, would, would, doesn't just stack up in a classroom. Yeah. Yeah, if you're a relationship coach, expect problems in your relationships. You can demonstrate that what you talk about is real. If you're a health coach, expect a health challenge. I've been talking positive psychology for over two decades. If I can't show up in a situation like that, you should never listen to a word I say again. What? What? I, I love this story. I can't remember exactly when you were in prison. There was a situation where a, a teacher had left the room, so you you had something oh. you had handwritten, and then you ended up typing it out and printing it out. I, I don't recollect. Fully. Yeah, it was. I, I was helping a lot of people and I needed a way to be able to leverage that. <clears throat> and so I wrote a story. Um, I wrote it by hand and it was called Mud or Stars. And it was taken after the old adage, two men sat behind prison bars. One saw mud, the other saw stars. And it's essentially to demonstrate that you know, your condition never defines you. It simply gives you the opportunity to define yourself. Hmm. And so on that note, I'd written it out, but you know, I'm limited. There's no computers in there. There's no email. There's no, you know, no electronics. But there was access to a computer in the in the classroom. I, I got put into education, into business studies. And so I'd got this handwritten. It was about four pages long, and I'd written it out. And it was written in the third person because if you approach somebody and tell them what they should or shouldn't be doing, yeah, Mikey, like you said, you don't know me. You don't know my story. Who are you? Mm-hmm. You know? So there's, there's resistance because the presupposition is you're not good enough where you're at. Mm-hmm. And that triggers the primary fear we all have, which is the fear we're not enough. 
And therefore, we discount whatever it is because we won't accept it at a deeper than intellectual level of awareness. You know, smokers know they shouldn't smoke, but they don't accept that level uh, deeper than intellectual because that means they'd have to own it and therefore admit to themselves they're stupid. And we won't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we just yeah, shut down at the first level of the awareness. So mm-hmm. if I'm trying to help somebody, unsolicited coaching will always respond with kickback. Yeah. But if you're sitting next to a couple of people having a conversation that's not about you and you're earwigging into that and you're eavesdropping on that and they're dropping bombs. Like, wow, that's really cool. Your defenses are down. You're not trying to say, oh, it's about me. So, you know, what do you know? Mm -hmm. So I wrote this story third party about this guy that comes to jail for his first time, deer in the headlights, and he sits next to this wise old con who they have this conversation in the waiting room that kind of changes this guy's entire life and experience of prison. And it was it was written by hand, but I needed to try to get it into more people's hands. And I thought, yeah, I can only do so much. And I'm in the class that day, and the teacher has to sit lockers in the classroom because the supply teacher next door hadn't shown up, so they had to go for like 20 minutes. And all the other guys are now searching drawers for like staples or you know, leather open or weapons or something, <laughs> something, something they could trade or whatever, right? Mm. I've got a computer in front of me and a printer. I'm like, boom. I type this thing out. I hit print 50 copies, right? It churns out. I literally put them under my jumper just as the teacher comes back. And at the end of the class, I walk out, smuggle them out, and I get to my cell and I collate them all. And over the next two or three days, while I'm walking through the wing, I'm sliding them under cell doors at random. I'm leaving them on a desk. I'm pinning them on a notice board. And it started a movement. Within a few days, you could start to hear some of the most depressed or violent prisoners shouting to each other, mud or stars, to try to cheer themselves up. And it was, um, it was, yeah, very, very profound. It, the Model Stars is what I won the award for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it, it's the universe will always help you. I live in a friendly universe. Of course, it was going to engineer some scenario for me to be able to help more people. Why? Because something else I learned from Tony. Power moves to those in direct proportion to their willingness to serve. See, the reason that most people are victim is because they're too focused on themselves. Yeah. What's wrong with me? My problem. Let me tell you about my story, right? Well, nobody cares about you. So in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. 80% of people don't care about your problems. The other 20% are glad you have them. Yeah, I read that. I couldn't agree with that even. I couldn't agree with that more. Yeah. 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 It's not, nobody cares. They're all starring in their own movie. Why do yeah. they care about yours? Just because you're in a soap opera, a drama, a horror show, right? And you want to pull people into your journey? Who wants to visit that? So, you know, from that perspective, If you're focused on how do I help, how do I serve, not from a martyr perspective, oh, then for I'll finally be good enough and they'll love me or accept me or no, 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 no. But from a genuine place of wanting to add value, irrespective of keeping score of whether they return it or not, the universe steps in. Situations present themselves. Synchronicities occur. Things line up. The outer world rearranges itself in ways that supports your intent, not blocks you from it. Mm -hmm. Power moves to those in direct proportion they're willing to serve. And that's what I said. Those that have gone through addiction or you know, prison time or you know, whatever, start thinking, how can I use this to help others and inspire them? That's one of the things I did one of the first people I met. Right? He was a you know, hardened criminal. He was kicking back at the system yeah, and you know, shouting about, you know, about how you know, bullshit this whole thing is and all the rest of it. And, I'm, and he, he talks about the fact he's got a three-year-old son. I, I picked up a conversation with him and says, well, 
I, I think you've got an amazing opportunity to, you know, to give your son an incredible lesson here. So what do you mean? He says, well, listen, we all make mistakes, but your son's going to make mistakes too. But if he looks at what happens to his dad when his dad comes out and he goes starts that deli, you're just telling somebody that, you know, you could do a better job of making sandwiches because you love to make you know, sandwiches and you want to open a deli one day. You go do that despite what's happened here. What kind of lessons do you think a three-year-old could get in school at that level? They can't. But for you to be able to do that as an opportunity, boom, this has given your son the greatest gift ever rather than focus on the fact that you're missing him this Christmas. Right. There's always a way to shift it. I got to know, uh, Peter, what were you like growing up? What was because talking to this man now, it's like I just picture your parents being the most awesome freaking people on the planet. But I'm the I've, most positive. Right. Too. It's like I wish I could have met young Peter. I have to know what was what was growing up like for Peter? Interesting. Question. I was I was actually quite, uh, quite shy. Would you believe I, I'm, I'm taking lessons to get over it? Don't worry. <laughs> so, but uh, but no, my mother was actually a, a special minister for the Catholic Church. She was very religious. Oh. In fact, yeah, you know, when she passed away, she or just before she passed away, you know, 11 years ago, she actually received a, a letter and, a, and an apostolic blessing from the Pope. She was that that uh, that level. Oh wow! Uh, my father was an atheist, former gang leader. <laughs> kind of went the other way on that one, huh? <laughs> yeah, interesting dichotomy, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. What well, one thing that it taught me in hindsight was that neither of them ever tried to superimpose their own model of the world onto the other. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you're never going to convince my dad to you know, show up to church on a Sunday. He went to church when he got married. That was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he would also be happy to welcome mom and what he called the God squad, right? her friends. Right. Yeah. Happy to welcome them into the home. Yeah, he'd go down at the bar, but he'd never judge them. It's just what they did. Sure. Yeah. Right? Uh, and so the, the level of tolerance was something I think vicariously I, I took on as, as a way of understanding other people. Um, uh, I, one of my early ambitions was actually to join the parachute regiment, be a paratrooper. Uh, I saw a TV show when I was 10 years old on, on the paras and yeah, it kind of got fixed. So I joined the cadets when I was 13, actually 12, lied about my age. And, and so I had some formative years from the ages of 12 to 17. I became one of the, the, the top senior cadets in the UK. I was attached to the queen. I met the queen. I was a yeah, na- uh, national shooting champion. I was the youngest qualified instructor in the history of the British Army Cadet Force. And what that did, it taught me a lot of things as, as a young man. It taught me discipline. Yeah. It taught me how to get up in the morning. It taught me how to value fitness. It taught me how to teach. Yeah? Um, and, and so I see that as playing a very formative role. School didn't. I'm not that clever. I couldn't spell MBA. Yeah, I, I got out of school at 16. Yeah, so yeah, for, for, for me, the academia side was never the path I was going to go. My dad was an entrepreneur. He, he owned his own job. He, had, he employed a couple of people. He had a, a junkyard for you know, 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother was a youth worker. But they held a space for me. They did the best they could. And you know, one of the proudest things I did as a son is when my parents divorced when I was in my 20s, you know, I bought the family home. I didn't want to lose it. And I bought them a house each to move to. Yeah, was, um, uh, and yeah, every son wants their parents to be proud. But I also recognize that every, yeah, n- not all people have yeah, what you would call model parents. Sure. My parents weren't model parents, but yeah, I, I didn't suffer child abuse. But I've also seen a lot of people that went through levels of trauma because mom was an alcoholic, dad was abusive, you know, dad was never there, whatever it is. And I've seen people have those scenarios and become a victim for their life. I've seen people have the exact same scenarios and become an inspiration for yeah, others by saying that'll never happen to my kids. Yeah. Again, outer world follows inner world, not the other way around. 
Yeah, you talk about that as well as far as uh, concerning environment and how people often say we're products of environment and you say that's bullshit. Well, I, I wouldn't say bullshit. I, I would say that there is a, an aspect of nature and an aspect of nurture, mm. right? But over time, environment beats will. Gotcha. What I mean by that is that, yeah, if you hang around with nine recreational drug users, chances are you're going to become the 10th. Gotcha. You hang around with nine people that are looking at life through the lens of how we can, not why we can't, that are self-motivated, that have a good morning routine, that are looking out there to go make a difference and leave a legacy in the world. Chances are you're either going to become the 10th or you're going to get kicked out of that peer group. Mm -hmm. So environment trumps will. Now, you are not going to attract people that are much higher than your level of consciousness. Mm. Your level of consciousness is your governing factor. And so if you're aspiring to be a six-figure earner, then hanging around with people that are aspiring to be six-figure earners is a good move. You're not going to attract six-figure earners to suddenly become your best pals because you're not at that level. You don't believe you're worth it yet. If you did, you'd already be earning it. But yeah, environment beats will. Uh, now, you, there are exceptions because you can you know, choose in the moment to change environments. But you can have all of the best intentions for staying warm. And I can teach you strategies from running on the spot and drinking warm soup and buying warm clothes. But if you live in a deep freeze, it's going to win at some point. Yeah. You know? So yeah, environment beats will. But you are also carrying a lot of the childhood programming that we get because zero to seven is very formative years. Absolutely. We don't have the ability to question a lot. Up until we're 70, well, I say question. Yeah, kids question everything, but it's out of curiosity. It's not out of critical thinking. See, critical thinking gets turned on about seven years old. Makes sense. Yeah. We don't have the ability to have the experience up to that point to have access to critical thinking. So we live at a brainwave you know, stat status of between you know, you know, one and seven hertz, you know, seven cycles per second, which is anywhere between delta and theta. Now, that's where we dream. And when we dream, we don't have critical thinking. If we did, we'd like, hang on a minute, there's Uncle Fred. He died five years ago. What's he doing here? Oh, it must be a dream. Oh, look, there's an station that's flying. No, we don't have those conversations when we dream. We just accept everything without any critical thinking unconditionally. So when we become eight and older, we start to develop access to the front part of our brain, our neocortex. And their way, we can start having critical thinking. But prior to that, we're basically walking around in hypnosis. Yeah, we're being programmed. Yeah, if you watch mom and dad yeah, growing up argue over money and you link money to loss of love, mm -hmm. you're going to give money away as soon as you get hold of it because if you value money more than significance, you don't want yeah, – um, yeah, sorry, if you value connection – yeah, yeah, more than significant. You don't want money because you've got an unconscious belief that's going to sabotage it because you've got intrinsically linked yeah, money from an early memory that you didn't have the ability to question that's right. now imprinted into thinking that people are going to shout at you or judge you or not be nice to you or be mean to you. All right? If you're growing up and yeah, the only way to avoid your alcoholic father from hitting you with a belt was to do everything he said, you are going to be a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. You are going to not quite, you're, you're going to avoid conflict. You're going to be very uncomfortable. You are going to not have boundaries that you really need to be able to have. You're going to attract people that will take advantage of you. 
So the formative year programming is a big part of that. And it's, it is available to change. There's many modalities to be able to do it. The first one is to just do an inventory of what your beliefs are. And most people don't do that. You ask them the question, what do you believe about money? I don't know. Well, then think. Spend 20 minutes and ask the question, what do you really believe about money? Then ask the question, where does that belief come from? Then ask the question, is that belief still true for you? Or ask an empowering question, what other things would you have to believe in order to think that that belief was true? Let's run an example. What do you believe about money? I believe you have to work really hard to get it. Okay. Where's that belief come from? Well, my dad used to say, you know, he used to work 50 hours a week at the factory. Or you have to work hard to get money. Okay. Well, is that belief still true for you? Well, no, because, yeah. A, he died at 55 of a heart attack and didn't have any money. So, yeah, it doesn't really work. Um, uh, B, I see a lot of people that aren't working 50 hours a week that are making good money. Um, so, so, yeah, no, that's that, that belief isn't still true. Okay, what else would you have to believe in order to think that was true? I'd have to believe that the other opportunities people have, yeah, are only for them and not available for people like me. I'd have to believe that I wasn't smart enough. Well, that's not true, clearly. You see how you start peg chipping away at the foundation. All of a sudden, you have this entire new belief system that gets installed because you realize you've been living on an old record that's not been updated just because you never took the time to look in the mirror and ask the questions. See, I think a lot of people never have in so many aspects of life, they're just on autopilot with things and never actually sit and do any sort of inventory. That's why I say, I think the world would benefit from going through a 12 step program process a little bit because you are required to do inventories of sorts. 100%. And most of the world is sleeping awake. Peter, yeah. can I ask you something? Sure, what, what do you think about money? Uh, money is, recognize what it is. Mm-hmm. Money is a byproduct or a consequence. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Money is received as a byproduct or a consequence of adding value. It's nothing more than an arbitrary medium of exchange used to measure one thing, and that's perceived value. Mm-hmm. The second you make it a thing, you will be chasing it for the rest of your life because it isn't a thing, it's a consequence. It's something that's measuring value. You only got money last time you got money by adding something of value first. Yeah, a product, a service, 40 hours a week, doesn't matter. Sure. However, if you concept, if you turn it into a commoditize it and turn it into a thing, you're chasing your tail. Why? Well, when was the last time you walked into a gym and said to the personal trainer, hey, I've got a deal for you. Give me the strength. I'll go lift the weights. Or you sit in front of a cold fire one night and say, hey, got a deal for you. Give me some heat. I'll go fetch you some wood. Doesn't work that way. You chop the wood, you get the heat. You lift the weights, you get the strength. You add the value, you get the money. But if you're chasing strength, heat, or money, you're going to be on a hamster wheel forever because it's not what it is. You see, we two things people stress about the most are time and money. And the only place in the universe they actually exist is in the mind of a human. True. Everything else is pieces of paper with dead people on it, you know, shiny metal and hard rocks. There's right. no intrinsic value. We create the value on what we perceive. But the biggest challenge is most people link their self-worth to their net worth because that's how they think society judges them. And if you're doing that, you're always going to, if I did that and I walked out of prison four years ago, third of a million in debt, no business, no credit rating, nothing. Now, if my self-worth and net worth were linked at that point, where do you think my self-esteem would be? In the toilet. If my self-esteem is in the toilet, then how much value can I add to the world? Not a lot. So therefore, I'm not going to be able to climb back out. 
I'm very yeah, pleased to say I'm not here about make this about me or anything else, but yeah, my, my, my business will do over a million dollars this month. Fucking awesome. I made more money this year in 2021 than I made for the last five years combined. Why? Hiring. <laughs> <laughs> that, and, and again, I'm not trying to say that to impress anyone. I'm trying to say to impress oh, yeah. a partner, right? right? I could lose everything tomorrow. It'd be a damn good excuse to go again. Yeah. Right? Because A, the whole concept of ownership is flawed. Have we figured that out yet? You don't own anything. While you're starring as the, you know, the character in the movie of your life, you don't get to take any of the props with you at the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, if you're in the Fast and the Furious, you may get to drive some nice cars. I drive some nice cars. But I don't get to take it. I don't get to keep it at the end of the movie. I'm just acting in my own movie right now. Right. My, my few years ago, my fiance, the one that never materialized after I went to you know, prison, the, thing, <laughs> the things people do to get out of a wedding. <laughs> but we're, we were in uh, South Africa one time and uh, I got an engagement ring. I had it custom made, one of the top um, setters out of Tiffany, New York uh, jewelers. Yeah, $120,000 ring. It was a nice ring. Yeah, I wouldn't buy another one. But it's a nice ring. Yeah, sounds pretty nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 80, 80 odd stones in the ring. Mm. And it had a halo of pink sapphires and blah, blah. Right, it was um, part of the uh, Great Gatsby selection from Tiffany, and we're swimming in this river in um, this uh, in South Africa on the Gardner, and it's a special river. It's the color of Coca Cola. Now, there's a it's a mineral in the rocks that turns out you can drink it. It's, it doesn't taste like cocoa, thankfully, but it just it just turns the water a certain color. And anyway, we we swim. We stop for a swim. You know, wear a crocodile is that kind of fun. But we got out. I live in a friendly universe. I'm you know, got to worry about crocodiles. <laughs> And all of a sudden, I hear a scream. I'm like, what's going on? What's wrong? She says, oh, my God, one of the stones had fallen out of the ring somewhere in the river. Now, you ain't going to find it in a Coca-Cola-colored river. <laughs> I'm out of, right? That shit's gone. That's gone, right? And she's all upset. I says, honey, don't worry about it. She says, what do you mean? Yeah, I've lost my stone. I'm like, wasn't your stone? She says, what do you mean? You gave it me. <laughs> <laughs> right? Who's this? <laughs> uh, honey, that stone's been around for 20 million years. Come around for another 20 million after you've gone. What makes you think you own it? Wow. We get so caught up in what we perceive to be a possession because we think the more stuff we have, the more we, you know, society will value us. Well, most people don't care enough about you to bother to give an opinion. Why? Because they're too busy being worried about what they think you're thinking of them. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, uh, I, again, it's, yeah, I'm doing well now, but I'm doing well not because I'm trying to do well, because I'm trying to find folks. How many people can I add value to? Yeah, well, when I when I put the book together, right, this was never ever meant to be a book. This is the eleven letters that I wrote to my private high level students from inside prison every two weeks because I wanted to add value to them. Yeah. I said, "Anybody?" I was like, "I don't know what's going to happen." First letter, guys, don't worry about me. I'm just on location for six months filming the prison scene in my movie. That's what I wrote in the letter. Now, it's a graduation event. Let's see where it goes. But I'm going to take you with me on a case study here to see what happens because I'm going to try to hopefully have opportunities to demonstrate what I've been teaching you guys on stage for the last eight years, that it works in the real life. Because if I can make it work in prison, what excuse you got when you lose your job or you have a row with your spouse or your kids you know, depressed because they didn't get a test score? So every two weeks, I, I wrote these letters, giving you, them an update, showing them the techniques that I was using. How do you get somebody off drugs? How do you stop somebody committing suicide within 15, 10 to 15 minutes permanently? Not in the moment. You can change anybody in the moment. But when they go back to the cell and think the same thoughts that cause the depression and the suicidal tendencies, how do you shift that permanently? 
well, you know, I spent 15 years working with Tony uh, at all of Tony's events. I dealt with a lot more crazies in there than I did in you know, prison, I can promise you, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? And, and so all of the techniques, all of the tradecraft, all of the, you know, all the stuff I was needing to use on myself to stay sane, to stay motivated. Were the times I was depressed? Of course, I'm human. Were the times I doubted myself? Of course, I'm human. The times I cried, I, I, I put it all in the letters. Yeah, why and how and how I got myself back on track, how I built myself back up. Because it's not about never falling off the horse. It's about how do you get back on you know, when, you, when you fall off? Where do you live? Where do you visit? So if you live in you know, the gym, you can visit McDonald's once in a while. It's not going to do much. But if you live in McDonald's, you can visit the gym once in a while. It ain't going to do much. It ain't going to do yeah. much, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you live in, in stress and fear and anxiety, you might be able to visit happiness and joy once in a while, but it's a completely different life to living in joy and occasionally visiting unhappiness. So how do you do that? So that's what I, I wrote out. And when I came out, they said they'd learn more from these 11 letters. And again, following me around the world for the last two years, and I had to share it with the public. I'm like, guys, these are private letters. There's never meant to be a book. This is, this is for you guys. They're like, listen, it's going to help a lot of people. And I listened. I'm like, that's my hot button. Let's do it. We published it. It went uh, bestseller in two hours. It went Amazon number one in four hours. It outsold four suppliers on the first day, sold to 40 countries on the first day. And if you have a look at any of the reviews on you know, Amazon, Goodreads, Kindle, Audible, iBooks, it's changed the life of pretty much everybody that's read it. And I had no idea walking into prison, the gift that I was able to be able to give myself and the world through going through those six months in what would perceive to be a traumatic, you know, total loss, catastrophic reset, you know, call it whatever you want. Yeah. It turned out to be one of the greatest gifts and adventures I've ever had the privilege of living. That's awesome. Oh. Uh, and of course, uh, if people want to get the book, we've got the uh, special link. It's uh, getpetersbook.com slash KDD. Am I correct? Yeah. So I'm, I wanted to do an offer because again, my mission is to get this to as many people as possible. Now I'll be honest, this, you can go to Barnes and Noble or Amazon and pay you know, $24.95 for this, but not a lot of people do. And yeah, unfortunately they, they probably should or pay a hundred bucks because then they're more likely to read it. But right. I'm, I'm going to believe that if the kind of people that are watching this are the kind of people that want to commit to themselves and will actually act on something. So I'm going to give every single person a copy of this as a gift from me. The only thing I'm going to ask is cover a little bit towards the shipping. Give me 10 bucks. And it costs me 12 bucks to have it printed and shipped. So I'm losing $2 for everybody that, that takes this on. I'll be totally transparent. But I've had a couple of thousand copies printed for you guys set aside so that I can cover anyone that's listening here that wants to get a copy of this that doesn't have $24.95 or, or thing. You know, if you reach up, I'm going to reach down. Yeah, let's do this together. And again, the tagline, as you can see there, an ultimate guide to conquering adversity and a lot of people right now are suffering from adversity in the global climate. A lot of people need the, the map to get out of the maze. And this provides a step-by-step handbook of what are the tools that I was using step-by-step, the phrases I was using, the beliefs that I was adopting, the techniques I was using. If someone approaches me with you know, violence on the wing to diffuse that. Yeah, how, how do you practice lying awake in a bunk for six months, having lost everything and still crying with tears of joy and gratitude? Well, I, I put it all in there to help as many people as I can. And I want to give that away. Yeah, getpeatsbook.com slash KDD. And yeah, I, I've got a couple of thousand copies there waiting for anyone that wants it. 
incredible. I, I want a copy. So. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Take advantage. <laughs> I am a reader. Well, Mr. Sage, this has uh, uh, been on a, a real honor and a pleasure. And before we wrap up and leave you with the final word of inspiration, uh, words of inspiration, we won't get, we'll give you more than just one. Uh, we like to have a little fun and do some random questions. These are just fun for shits and giggles. Uh, and, all right. Mr. Mike. All right. If they were to make a movie about you, who would you cast to play yourself? Daniel Craig. I could see that. He would nail it. I would ask you the superpower question, but I think he already got it. So we'll uh, skip that one. Um, okay. This is a fun one. If you were stranded on a deserted island, and oddly, it's got a record player and a TV, uh, what one movie and what one album would you take with you? Oh, album probably be Bon Jovi, Slippery When Wet, just because I'm old school at that level. That's what I play in the car when I really want to drive. Bon Jovi I would not have seen that. I was expecting maybe like the Who, the Beatles or something. No, we go an American New Jersey boy. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, and as a TV show, probably. Um, or movie. It's a, wonderful, it's a Wonderful Life uh, as a movie. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've seen The Matrix so often. It's and Matrix Four is actually. I mean, The Matrix is my favorite documentary. To be fair, <laughs> oh, I'm with you on the, I'm I'm excited for the next one, man. Red blue, oh. pill, uh, red pill, blue pill. It's uh, I'm I'm with you on that. It's like yeah, we we kind of live in that, people. You know, there's there's oh, yeah. a lot of metaphors here. All right, so I'm going to ask my famous question right now. Would you rather fight ten chicken-sized horses or one horse-sized chicken? That's a great question. I've just got a visual on that and it blows my mind. Isn't it? Uh, <laughs> Do you imagine a horse-sized chicken or 10 chicken-sized horses? Yeah, I think a horse-sized chicken just because I'm a Family Guy fan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you got it's a never-ending fight. Just keeps yeah. on going and going. Did you hear <laughs> exactly. that? Peter is Life a- is a growth-centric experience. Yeah. That's right. Peter is a fan of the Family Guy. Uh, okay. Um, what advice would you give to your, uh, to a previous boss? If you could never had one. Um, uh, but if I could, um, thank you for stepping up and taking more risks than the people who work for you appreciate. We usually get the, you can tell Peter means what he says. Cause normally get, ah, don't be such a dick or something. So I tell my old boss to fuck off. You know, something like that. <laughs> Take your job and you can give it to somebody else. Yeah. All right. Uh, One more there, Mikey. So based off of your beautiful, positive mind, what goes through your mind when you're stuck in traffic? What's just the first thing you think of? First thing? I I don't do that much thinking, to be fair. No? Uh, I I meditate most days. Well, every day, pretty much. But yeah, no. if I'm stuck in traffic, Probably how grateful I am to still be in a, in living in a time in history where I can be stuck in traffic. Yeah, yeah. good point. That, that makes me uh, curious. It's kind of a little off of some of our usual. You talk about meditating uh, every day. What is kind of a uh, daily practice for Mr. Sage, you know? Uh, ideally, uh, 5 a.m. Revali, as in uh, up at 5. Uh, I have a two and a half hour you know, slash morning routine. Uh, first thing I'll do is I'll, I'll hydrate and uh, do a bit of spine stretching. Then I'll sit and do my reading. Uh, I read my, my personal growth, spiritual growth in the morning. Yeah, yeah. If, I, if I do fiction, like usually it's the you know, latest Jack Reacher book, which I'm all up to date with. But, um, uh, but that's not a morning. Part of my morning practice is yeah, up, I'll hydrate, spine stretch. I'll do my, my reading probably 20, 25 minutes. 
I'll then um, meditate for anywhere up to an hour and then I'll journal. Mm. And once I've done my journaling, I'll then do my juice. I have a ginger shot, yeah, fresh ginger, um, half an apple, whack that through, bang. Uh, then I'll hit the, the gym. I've got a gym here at home. I, I'll train at, or I'll go for a run with the dogs and then I'll have a, a proper breakfast juice. And so nine o'clock, 9 a.m., we have bodies trained, spirits trained, you know, uh, souls trained, yeah, yeah, emotions all in place. Let's go you know, take on the day and have fun. Thank you for sharing that. I, I'm curious as I, as I continue to try to move forward within myself, trying to bring, you know, like those three key areas as I've kind of started to see that overly come up is, is your spiritual sense, your, your, your physical health and your mental and emotional health and trying to get those more aligned. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, we definitely have different morning routines. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you could leave any, uh, last words of inspiration and positive thoughts for the uh, listeners and viewers. Certainly. If anything that you've heard today has resonated, then yeah, remember it's, yeah, I'm just a guy. I'm no special. I'm no more different. Yeah. I, I put my pants on one leg at a time. I may have had the opportunity to learn from some of the great masters that I've been privileged to study under and, as mentors, but we all have those. And some people, their mentors are their, you know, their, their traumas. Yeah. And so, yeah, never believe that you don't have gifts. Never yeah, entertain anybody's idea that you're less than because of what you've gone through. Uh, you're more than. You're way more qualified to take on the current challenges because of your history than most people ever will be. You're walking superheroes. Don't let anybody tell you you're not. Love that. Mr. Peter Sage, thank you very much. My pleasure, gentlemen. It's, uh, it's been an honor and keep doing what you're doing. Mr. Peter Sage, thank you once again for coming on the podcast. What a great dude. You know, he's the only person that I've ever talked to or that I know, well, I don't know him, but you know what I'm saying, who can lose everything, all the millions of dollars, and go to a maximum security prison for six months and be stoked for it. He's yeah. excited. It, it really is. It, we didn't dig totally into it uh his book does outline it a little bit more the amazing work he did in these prisons as he said they're they're taking these things that he wrote in his time in prison translating it into multiple languages and it's going into effect to actually have rehabilitation occur in prisons not just here you are you're locked away for this period of time or whatever it is but actually transformation of human life occur and i mean what a powerful situation that he was able to see a positive in that because i just couldn't imagine well that's why i was just so thrown off i was like what was what was your headspace and he was oh i was excited i'm just like <laughs> waiting for him to be i'm just kidding i wasn't excited and then go into it but he, he wasn't kidding he was dead serious so i'm like wait what <laughs> <laughs> yeah phenomenal individual thank you again mr sage and again don't forget to uh get a copy of his book really just have to cover the shipping by going to getpetersbook.com slash kdd and uh, there you go and I, i've already got my copy and uh, speaking of books hey don't forget carlos Vieira's autobiography knocking doors down that inspired this podcast uh you can get that book with all the proceeds benefiting the carlos Vieira foundation the race to be drug free program keeping kids off the streets away from gangs away from drugs the race to be autism program and the race to end the stigma focusing on mental health so uh, all those proceeds 100 percent I'll go back to the Carlos Vieira Foundation. Uncle Mikey, got anything else? No, I'm going home. On that note, keep knocking doors down.
strengthening communities, providing resources, building awareness, empowering youth in need to overcome adversity and achieve success. This is what the Carlos Vieira Foundation is all about. Through our campaigns, the race for autism, race to end the stigma, and race to be drug-free, we're able to help so many in need. Our goal is to provide support to families and children and give these families opportunities that might not normally arise. Learn more and find out how you can get involved. Visit CarlosVieraFoundation.org today. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the knocking doors down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate. We welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.